welcome to the Offside Rule WSL edition. It's me, Kate Borsay, here to take you through the latest fixtures in the top flight of women's football. This week, six matches, 20 goals after the international break. The FA WSL is back. Plus, Leah Williamson speaks to us about her time in Jakarta and on camp with England. And Birmingham captain Keris Harrop talks to us about maple syrup. Yes, that's right. Could get sticky. And in the studio to discuss it with me from the back pages of The Times, it's women's football journalist Molly Hudson. Alongside Molly, you may remember him from the Women's World Cup. It's our Arsenal and Brazil expert, Tim Stillman. Hola, Tim. Hola, bon dia. <laughs> and hello to Molly as well. We've just about made it into... The, in fact, everyone's a bit damp <laughs> because it's rainy and horrible outside today. Um, both of you keeping well and enjoying the season so far? I, I was until yesterday. No, yeah. <laughs> it all went a bit say. downhill for you yesterday. <laughs> Bad day it? for Arsenal fans. We'll digest that in just a minute. And Molly, yourself as well. How are you enjoying the season so far? Yeah, I'm loving it. I think it's it's getting better year on year that I've been doing it. So it's, it's a super exciting time to be involved, actually. Yeah, crowds are getting bigger and bigger. And I'm going to be keeping my eye on that one as well. What happens when a side isn't at a big stadium? And can we keep maintaining these 1,000, 2,000 plus crowds throughout the season? Well, there's a lot to squeeze into the show today. Is that another maple syrup pun, producer Abby? Possibly. Uh, and before we get into the WSL, let's talk England. Specifically, Phil Neville, England manager, the man who says England played better against Brazil, the match they lost, than they did against Portugal, the match they won. Molly, you were at the Portugal game and spoke to him afterwards. What happened? Yeah, he was not in the best mood, I would, I would say. Um, he basically suggested that... I had tried to get him sacked, essentially, which wasn't the case at all. And wasn't, I'd essentially written what every other um, newspaper journalist had written. In fact, I've got your quote here. You say, Phil, we've all been talking about the five games without a win. Now that run is over, what have you learned from it to take forward? So I'd suggest that was a quite a kind, positive question. (laughs) We try. (laughs) We do try. But Phil didn't see it like that. He also kind of misinterpreted something that you had written after the Brazil game as well. Yeah, so we'd essentially, most journalists, in attendance had written the stat about Hope Powell. So the previous England manager, the last time England had gone five games without a win, she was sacked after 15 years in charge. So that's just, just that's literally it. That's all anyone wrote, um, <laughs> unrelated to Phil. But yeah, I think it's, it's always the lesson of actually where women's football is now and yeah. the fact that people will criticise it and they're right to do so because yeah. it's a professional game now. Look, I've interviewed him. I've sat with Hayley McQueen at St George's Park and he's invited that criticism and says only when England get that criticism are they going to be compared on an equal level to other sides. Tim, I'm, I'm going to run this one by you. Post-match after that Portugal game, uh, he, he didn't just lay into Molly. He also made some of his grand statements, <laughs> which I do enjoy reading. So he was asked when he expects the side to show some consistency and he said maybe Euro 2021, maybe the Olympics, we're building for the biggest stages and then went on to say we're planning to win a gold medal in Japan and planning to win a home Euros. Now that comment sums him up right it's you know I don't expect everything of my girls right now but we've been playing the best football ever and whilst we might not be consistent until the Euros or the Olympics we're going to win both of them. Yeah yeah and I know you spoke about this on the show last week about him kind of building that expectation at the World Cup for example and whether that was a good thing. I think it's just kind of symptomatic of fairly confused thinking which is kind of what I get when I watch the Lionesses under Phil Neville to be honest. He talk, he says things like um, our style is you know uh, unnegotiable and I think 
what style? I, d I don't really see a style mm. that that's supposedly, you know, th that he cannot negotiate. And then he says, you know, we we switch players for different styles and things like that. And it's just, um, I think sometimes Phil needs to think about less about what he says and mm. more about what he does. Well, Molly, you were just giving an honest assessment of the game, as you do, and I know it was written up in quite a few of the papers. For you as a journalist, just personally, does it does that feel a bit daunting when someone goes on the attack like he did? Because it would probably make me feel really uncomfortable, if I'm honest. I think it was difficult because it, that wasn't what I'd written. Yeah. If he'd had a problem with something that I'd written, then completely fair enough. He had a problem with the fact that I'd described them as tepid which I stand by because they were. Yes. But that's fine. That's a matter of opinion. and We don't have to agree on that. That's no. his job and that's my job. But the fact to say that I'd suggested he should be sacked when that isn't what I did what was what was difficult yeah. because he thought that I did or had it in his head that I did. Yes. And it's hard to argue with that when you're in like a public press conference. With lots of other journalists yeah. there, I would imagine. Uh, and lots of people staring on. Okay. Just before we move on, a loss against Brazil, finally a win after three months against Portugal. One item on your England wish list. Let's think positively here. What do we need from this England side or from the manager or the style of play? One item each, please, Tim. I think a style of play, actually, because I, I still don't know what it is. OK. And so I, I don't know really what he's trying to build. I do think perhaps he's got a slight issue in front of the defence. I really like Kira Walsh. I think she's a really good player, but I don't think they've quite replaced Farah Williams yet. So whether they do that with Kira or Leah Williamson, I'm not sure, but I think that's probably uh, quite an important thing for Phil to do. For you, Molly? I think it's just defending from crosses and set pieces probably throughout his, what, 18 months in charge now. That's something, that's an area where we've looked weak. And I think, you know, he said before he recognises that. And it, as Tim said, I think some of that could be finding the right people to protect that defence, actually, because we saw Leah Williamson yesterday playing for Arsenal and Millie Bright playing for Chelsea, and they both had really good games, but it's finding the defensive combination with mm. Steph as well. Yeah that seems like it's not quite there yet. Not quite there. For me, Phil Neville just needs to be a bit more measured with what he's saying. If I was a player, I would be eye-rolling at some of the stuff that he's saying because he's going on about winning the Euros and winning the uh, Olympics, but the results are nowhere near that yet. All right, we can talk about Phil, can't we, until the cows come home, but we're not going to. Let's get cracking with the WSL. This is the Offside Rule WSL edition from Muddy Knees Media. Well, Chelsea ran out 2-1 winners against Arsenal. This is the match Molly and Tim that you were both at and uh, our pick of the matches from the weekend. To get you in the mood, let's listen to Emma Hayes having a good old sing-song. Guru, she comes from the fjords. Guru, she assists and scores. Guru, nothing she can't do. Guru. Oh, she's Chelsea Blue. Oh, yeah. Next one. Should we do um, Deanna Cooper? Because we like that song. Yeah, Ready? Okay. Deanna Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> are gonna fly me. Shining like the sun. Ba, ba, ba. Defending just from bun. Because she's our number one. No, 21. Oh, absolutely love that. She couldn't quite... Um, get the hang of some of it though could she <laughs> uh, 
Uh, all right, top of the pops crowd-wise this game. Over 4,000 were at King's Meadow to watch Chelsea take on reigning champions Arsenal. And the Blues prevailed on home turf after going a goal down early on. They had to wait until the second half, though, to find the back of the net. Beth England with the first, followed by a touch of class, really, from Maria Torres-Dottir for Chelsea's second. It finished 2-1 to the home side. Let's start with Chelsea's performance then. Molly, I'm going to go to you first. Some inspired substitutions really turn this around for them. Yeah, I think that's probably the biggest takeaway from the game, actually, is the squad depth that Chelsea actually have now. You look at that starting eleven, and there's there's not a weak player there. But then you look at the bench, and there's players that must be sat there. Even Emma said it after the game. They must be thinking, why aren't I in the starting eleven? Yeah. Oh, literally world-class players. You look at Maria Torres-Dottir, Drew Spence, who came Ramona on Backman. as well. Ramona Backman was brilliant brilliant impact when she came off the bench yeah. and got the assist for the goal. Was Are really they going to be happy there though, Molly? Because I do question how how long players like Maria Torres-Dottir and Ramona Backman used to winning. They play internationally for their side, Torres-Dottir for Norway, um, Backman for Switzerland. How long are they going to be happy sitting on the bench? I think... Obviously, this season, myself and Tim were talking about it earlier, there's always one of those big three, Manchester City, Arsenal and Chelsea, that don't have Champions League. Now, that's a positive for Chelsea this season, but it also means they should be able to contend on just more than one competition. You've got the FA Cup, you've got the Continental Cup, and actually, they should be able to give everyone a spread of minutes. That should keep them all happy, and you know, you look at Backman and Torres Deltier, they'll be delighted yesterday, coming off the bench not proving the manager wrong, but proving that how important that squad is. And that's, you know, personally, I'm sure Tim will agree, that's what made the difference over Arsenal, the fact that Joe Montemuro didn't have those same options coming off the bench. And on the flip side of that, actually, when you look at the winning goal, Arsenal had to take off Leo Volti because she's only really fit enough to play 60 minutes at the moment. They don't really have another defensive midfielder. And you could see that with the winning goal. You've got Daniel Vanderdonk, Kim Little, Jordan Nobbs kind of ball watching. While Torres has is completely free on the edge of the area because Arsenal didn't have anyone that they could bring on for Leo Volti to, to perform that role. And had Leo Volti been there, I wonder whether that winning goal would have happened. I think she might have been mm-hmm. in position. So there, there's a flip side there. And, and as you know, Molly, Joe spoke about this afterwards about, you know, he chooses to have a small squad. But I, I think it kind of came back to bite him on the backside yesterday. Well, Tim, that leads us on brilliantly to Joe Montemuro. You had a chat with him after the game. This is what he's had to say about Arsenal's performance. The fundamentals of the way we play is to keep the ball. Uh, we didn't keep the ball well. Uh, we, we got punished for errors. They pressed they pressed us in, in, in crucial areas. We made turnovers and got punished for it. So ground, no ground, the ball is round. The ground is the same for, for both teams. And uh, the team that scores more goals at the end of the game wins the game. Simple as that. Tim, Joe also mentioned the atmosphere at Kings Meadow, a crowd of 4,149, which is great. I've been looking at these crowds, actually. Uh, Man U Liverpool a couple of weeks ago was 2,800. You know, what happens to a crowd when there isn't a big London Stadium fixture or a big Stamford Bridge fixture? And if we're going to get between two and 4,000, 5,000, then that's awesome, albeit for these kind of slightly Derby-esque matches, basically. But what, what was the atmosphere like there yesterday? It was really good, um, actually, and, and, and the Chelsea fans can take big credit for that. All of the Arsenal fans, you know, the supporters club bought all their tickets together, so they were behind one of the goals and they created, you know, their own little kind of away end. And the last couple of Arsenal away games I've been to, this has happened because Arsenal played Manchester United as well, and whether there's also a little bit of leftover rivalry, perhaps, from the men's game, but you've had kind of two sets of fans you know exchanging chants which you don't usually hear in the women's game and one thing that's great for as well as just the atmosphere is you know for 
want of a better word, the product on TV. I think quite often these games are on TV and even when there's a big crowd, the crowd kind of sounds semi-interested or, you know, looking mm. at their phones or... Yeah, because I actually tuned in, in, in on the radio yesterday to that game and from what I'd read on social media, it didn't quite equate to what I was hearing through the radio. I, I expected it to, to feel a lot louder, a lot more vocal. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But at this game, you kind of, I think particularly where Chelsea went behind and their fans kind of, and, and actually Chelsea responded really well. And mm. there was kind of a, there was, there was a mixture there of, of both, I think, the team responding to the fans and vice versa. Mm. And I think Emma Hayes was, you know, was very, very kind of complimentary of, mm. the, of the home fans afterwards and said that was a factor in the result. Well, she said she'd said to the players at half time, look, if you score, the roof's going to come off this place. And it did. You know, she was exactly right. And I think what, Actually, we, we probably complain about the FA quite a lot and the way they do things, but they've got it exactly right. I remember speaking to Kelly Simmons at the start of the season and she talked about this notion of trying to get the best women's games on men's international windows. Yeah. And that if, you, if you're going to target those fans, you want to make sure the product you're showing them is the very best. And that's what it was mm. yesterday. And I think, you know, both, both sets of fans can agree on that. After the game, uh, Chelsea manager Emma Hayes also said that she didn't want to talk about last season anymore and the disastrous start that the side had to it. Um, she was only going to focus on this season. And, and she said the season for Chelsea starts now. Important point, Molly, that she's made there. The, the first line of my column this morning was Chelsea can win the league this season. Oh, so um, we, 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 are, we are already putting it out there. Yeah, I think so. I think it's the squad depth. I think, you know, even though there aren't that many games in the league, mm. when you add on the FA Cup, the Continental Cup, then you add on Arsenal and Manchester City in the Champions League. There's only so far you can go with the same players playing week in and week out. We know you're going to get injuries. Sadly, in the women's game, the ACL injury in particular really stunts people's progress and if you get a couple of those or even one of those to a key player mm. it's really really difficult and that's what Chelsea yes Emma said she'd love to be in the Champions League she said I'll swap with Arsenal post-match we'd <laughs> love to we'd love to play Slavia Prague but it is it is an advantage and yeah. I think it will particularly towards the end of the season when everyone's getting a bit tired it'll make yeah. a big difference I think also Chelsea know as well that um there was almost a sense of deja vu at the beginning of this season where they really only squeezed past Tottenham on the first day and weren't impressive. And then they dropped those points at Brighton and you're looking at it and thinking, oh, this is looking a bit like their we start We all got a bit nervous. Season. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And yet they get this win. And I think she's right. This is where the belief kicks in. Yeah. And this it was on this exact weekend last season that Arsenal beat Chelsea 5-0. And that was the point where Arsenal said, right, we're in business now. Yes. And, and you feel like Chelsea could think something very similar. Well, they definitely use that as motivation. That's that's for sure. Well, later on, we'll be hearing from Leah Williamson about her time in Indonesia. But let's get into the rest of the weekend's fixtures. Saturday's action saw Birmingham travel to 100%ers Man City in a bid to get their campaign up and running. Uh, City had too much to offer, though, even if it did take them a little while to really show it. Kira Walsh found the back of the net with just under half an hour played before Tessa Woolart turned in from Janine Becky's cross and Lee Gun Min added another. City now top of the table the only side to maintain a 100% record in the WSL this season. Molly, does this mean that sides are going to go in a little bit harder on them now as they try and break that? I think so. I think Manchester City will probably be absolutely delighted with the start to the season they've had when you consider that Nikita Paris left to go to Lyon. 
Ellen White, who's going to be such an important player for them, has been out with injury. And yet they've still managed to keep this 100% unbeaten record. And, you know, they've got such a really important period coming up. They've got Atletico Madrid in the Champions League, who, of course, they were knocked out last season. Um, And that's really difficult opposition, actually. Probably the hardest tie they could have managed to get. And then they're playing playing Arsenal. I think it's the 27th. Yes, so, away, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And and actually, I mean, City probably had a fairly kind run of fixtures to start with. But what's happened for them, as, as you say, Molly, they, they lost Nikita Paris. Ellen White's been injured. But players like Janine Becky and Tessa mm. Woolley have, have mm. stepped up with Bremer goals. Bremer as well. Yes, yeah, Pauline Bremer as well. And, and they've stepped up with goals. And now, from what I understand, Ellen White is ready to come back and will play in the Conti yeah. Cup. And therefore, when they travel to Arsenal in a couple of weeks, she should be kind of a bit more up to speed. Perfect time for you. Yeah, to yeah. <laughs> but I, I got the sense watching this game that City under Nick Cushing, they're very solid, but they rarely, they're rarely spectacular. And that's what they were like in the first half. But in the second half, I know Nick said, you know, we spoke about being ruthless in Mm. the second half. They just lifted it another gear. And it was the first time in a while I think I've seen them do that and just really go for the jugular. And I think had Ellen White been playing in this game, they might have beaten Birmingham 5 or 6 nil. Yeah, definitely good to see some goals from City because that's one thing that they haven't provided a lot of so far this season as you mentioned Tim um, Molly Birmingham winless and still goalless in this campaign struggling with a much changed side are they in real trouble I think it's difficult this season because everyone seems to have made that step up you look at the Brightons and teams like that that last season probably struggled a little bit Everton is a prime example and they've had a flying start Brighton pushed Chelsea all the way got that point, probably could have got more, in fact, in that game. And I think, actually, for Birmingham, it's almost gone the other way. They've always been that team that's had the ability to fight against the really big teams like the Manchester Cities. Mm. You know, you always know you're in a, in a game against Birmingham. But that's even more important this season that it's fighting hard because they have lost so many players. And people like Aoife Mannion, Nellan White, you yeah. don't replace those overnight. No, you don't. OK, well, let's chat more on Birmingham uh, with club captain Keris Harrop. Keris, it's been a tricky start to the season, hasn't it, for Birmingham? How close are you to getting into gear, do you think, and finding some form? Yeah, no, it's been um, a difficult start. You know, not certainly not the start I expected anyway. But um, I think the first two games were unlucky to lose against Everton and West Ham. I think even both of their coaches after the game, you know, said we dominated the game, but we just couldn't find the back of the net. So it's promising in the sense that, you know, we are dominating the games in terms of possession and things like that, but we just need to find those kind of extra uh, touches now to, to finish off games. And then obviously on the weekend against Man City, um, you know, they were just the better team. You Sometimes you have to hold up your hands and just say they were the better team and they were, you know, they've got some quality players. So we all uh, reflect on that game and, and look to improve the next one. And Keris, how, how difficult is it for you in the squad with obviously there's a big player turnover in the summer. Obviously, you lost Mark before the end of last season. Just just how difficult has that been and how much has that contributed to to the, the start you've had? Yeah, I think it's difficult. You know, as, as a player who's been there for the you know well, the last nearly 20 years, um, I've never had that much change, I don't think, in, in such a short space of time. So to kind of lose your, your coach who, you know, everyone really respected and loved and then to to lose a lot of players as well. It was difficult, you know, but we've brought in, you know, five good quality players and they're all nice girls and and good players. But yeah, it's been difficult, but, you know, it's happens. It's in lot, it happens in life, doesn't it? In all areas of life, um, you always get to change. It's just how well you adapt to that change. 
Obviously, in previous season, there's the Birmingham and Reading have always competed with those really big clubs and almost punched above their weight. Have you found this season that almost everyone seems to be competitive? It seems like across the board in the WSL, everyone now is is at a higher level than they were last season. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I think uh, even the results from uh, the weekend just gone. You know, teams beating teams that you wouldn't think there would beat, and it's just uh, you know really open now, isn't it? I think. It's good that the league is so competitive because you just don't know who's going to win it. Obviously, we've like the likes of Chelsea beating Arsenal on the weekend. You know, it's going to be tight not only at the top but I think just throughout the whole of the league. So I think that keeps it exciting for us as players, but also for fans of the women's game. Well, one big positive for Birmingham City: you've you've got the best sponsors in the WSL, Keris, <laughs> as voted for by the offside rule. Maple by Canada. And that's who I'm talking about because whoever thought we'd see maple syrup and football bonding? Well, I'd imagine that they do bond together quite well <laughs> in actuality. Uh, tell us about them. I'm led to believe that, that they give you cooking sessions a couple of times a week. Yeah, no, not a couple of times a week. Um, just a few. We do about um, about four times throughout the year. Okay. Um, we go in and to a local university and just do cooking sessions with them. They're, they're good fun and it's just a nice way to, to obviously learn how to use maple syrup um, with some, some kind of easy recipes, really. Some things that are not too hard and don't take, you know, you don't need to be Jamie, Oliver or Gordon Ramsay to, to make them, you know. So, <laughs> yeah, we really enjoy it. I think we've been doing it for the past three years now and just the product itself, just, you know, really healthy and just a lot more tastier than, you know, your average sugar that you might put on your cereal and your porridge and stuff. So. Yeah, so so this is great news for me because I'm a big fan of pancakes and maple syrup and I never knew yeah. that it was actually good for me. Just <laughs> just, just tell us why, because it, it seems bizarre that a sugary syrup is good, but I'm totally willing to buy into it. But, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but tell yeah, me no, why. I think in, 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 uh, in every moderation, the side, I don't know. So, um, well, I think especially for us as athletes, you know, we, we burn burning sugar and carbs all the time so for us it's just a real good energy source that helps to fuel us to, to play so and I think the fact it's tasty as well as you say you can eat it with things like pancakes and again as long as your pancakes aren't too unhealthy I think that's the main thing so <laughs> exactly. you can still have you know healthy tasty meals that, that fuel us for, for games and training. And maple syrup is vegan as well which I understand that you've had a crack at uh, being. Yeah yeah I tried it um, over last year the year before I tried to, to give up something every month. And I think that one month I was uh, trying to give up like chicken and, and meat and just try and be vegan. I, I did actually do it. I was quite did proud you? of myself. Yeah, I did it, yeah. And yeah, I, I knew that a lot of the, the maple Canada, you know, uh, recipes were vegan. So I gave them some of them a go. But it was interesting. It was good. Keris Harrett, Birmingham City captain, rounding up all things maple syrup. Love that. Uh, as well as Birmingham's loss to Manchester City. Well, let's move on to our next one. Tottenham beaten at home 3-0 by Manchester United. It was the battle of the new kids on the block. United coming out on top. New league, same result. United buoyed by the returning of star signing Jackie Gronin and uh, with it the goals came. United able to capitalise on an underpass Spurs defence with Kirsty Hansen's opener, a deflected goal, followed by an Ashley Neville own goal before Jane Ross scrambled in the third just before the final whistle. Well, it was looking pretty promising for Spurs this season, wasn't it? Two wins in three league games before this tie. Did they lose some of that form, Tim, for this one or are United just that little bit better aside? I think United are a little bit better, but I think a big loss for Tottenham has been Gemma Davison, particularly the way Tottenham play. They look to be quite 
Uh, they're usually quite compact and play on the counter. And if you're playing on the counter, Gemma Davison's the ideal winger to have. And losing her, I think, has been really, really big. And I think Tottenham, they did have some quite promising attacking situations in this game, but they perhaps just didn't have that experience in the decision-making um, in the final third. And I think Gemma, I, I don't think they'd have won or drawn this game with her, but I, I think that's a really big problem, actually, for Tottenham this season. I think that's a player they can't really replace. Yeah. We've said, haven't we, from the off that, that they're going to rely on players like, like Rachel Furness and Gemma Davidson. Still important to remember though, that Spurs sit with a host of other sides on six points, including Manchester United. So uh, they are still, you know, only three points away from third position where Arsenal currently sits. Manchester United's Lauren James Molly named player of the match as she was sent off. Uh, she's only 18. How much potential do you see in her? Potential is almost limitless. I think she's she's performed so well, particularly in the championship last season, and people were almost questioning why did Arsenal let her go and you know, maybe what the reasons for that were because she was doing so well for United. You know, she's so young and yet literally an integral part of that side already. But I think it is a step up. It's a step up in work rate, it's a step up in quality, it's a step up in the fact that you're going to play teams week in and week out that will challenge you. You can't have an off day against any of these teams. And I think for Lauren, a lot of it is a learning learning period for her, for her game, you know, what works and what doesn't. And I think she got sent off so late in that game and mm. you wonder whether Casey Stoney should have taken her off. But I think you, you, you look at Casey and you think she has to trust those players yeah. that she leaves on that pitch. Any, you know, any player in that squad should be able to make sure that they finish that game because now she was just building up that head of steam. She played so well against Liverpool and got the goal that, that won that game. Then she played well again against Spurs and now she's going to be going to be suspended. Yeah, it's difficult. It was a second yellow that um, saw her sent off. And as you say, Molly, if she's to do her developing on the pitch, that could be quite a risk, particularly in instances like this. Was the sending off, do you think, just part of her development, Tim, or is that something that Casey Stoney needs to look at? I, I think a bit of both. Um, and actually, I watched Casey's interview after this, and I half expected Casey to not rip into her, but kind of you know maybe maybe just kind of make Honest. that point yeah, yeah but but actually she Honest held appraisal. back a bit yeah mm -hmm. and she said you know this is just she'll learn and actually i i kind of agreed with case's assessment which is lauren for for an 18 year old is already quite physically developed mm. and it was just slightly mistimed and when lauren bangs into someone it kind of looks worse than yeah. than when certain other players do it but i i saw lauren play for arsenal when she was 16 alongside the likes of jordan Nobbs and kim little and she did not look out of place at all right. Right. And I th I really think the sky's the limit for her. But, you know, it's whether she can be that kind of a bit more tactically disciplined, whether her work rate can go up. Um, but she's only 18. And, you know, I think she'll be knocking on the lioness's door soon enough. We'll wait and see how Man U cope without her. You're listening to The Offside Rule, WSL edition from Muddy Knees Media. This is the Offside World WSL edition with me, Kate Borsay, joined in the studio by Tim Stillman and Molly Hudson. Uh, we're going to do a whiz tour of the final three matches as we aim to uh, not go too far over our time limits. On our whistle-stop tour, when it comes to Reading against Everton in the WSL, the home side always wins, and that remained the case this weekend as well. A hat-trick of Farrah Williams' assists saw Reading win 3-2 over Willie Kirk's Everton. Williams curls it in and headed on, and that's the opener. Williams in, and Williams has done it again from a set piece, and it's the same old script. 
Farrow Williams' set pieces just cannot be stopped by Everton. Four of the goals coming in the first 24 minutes. Two for Reading's Jade Moore, either side of Chloe Kelly for Everton. Lucy Graham equalised from the spot for the Merseysiders before Reading's Lisa Marie Utland provided the winner. Do we need to reignite the Farrah Williams fan club then? I, I think so. I'm, I'm <laughs> delighted for Farrah, um, to be honest, because she came to Arsenal. I was so excited when she came to Arsenal, but it just didn't quite work for her there. I think Arsenal didn't really play her in her best position and she came at a time under Pedro Loza when Arsenal just seemed to be randomly collecting footballers without an idea of what to do with them and I know she she felt a bit lost after that and this this move to Reading's really worked yeah. for her and playing in that number 10 position. And Reading are so organised, this is real trademark Kelly Chambers isn't it, organised, capitalising on set pieces as well, this is, this is their hallmark I suppose. Is there a reason Molly why Farrah Williams isn't playing for England because they could really do with her right now? I think it was probably two players in that Reading side that will argue that they are good enough to play for England and Jade Moore's got yeah. another two goals there and we spoke to her the other week and she was sort of suggesting that Phil had wanted her to get on the ball a little bit more at Reading and it is quite difficult when you play for a club like Reading when you're against Manchester City, Arsenal, you're not always going to be able to do that. You know, Reading aren't always going to have the most of the possession in the way that Phil Neville wants England to play. But actually, Jade Moore and Farrah Williams, they, they do have that capability to offer that bit of calm and structure in midfield, but also have shown how pivotal they can be attacking. For goals as well, absolutely. Well, the Barclays FAWSL tweeted, did she, Farrah, get her MBE for assists after three in that one? Uh, Brighton against West Ham next. And uh, on last week's show, Claire Rafferty said that West Ham uh, really only show up for the big games, not the smaller ones. Uh, well, they put that right at the weekend. 3-1 the result against Brighton. Goals coming from Martha Thomas, Kenza Darley and Alicia Lehman before Megan Connolly added a consolation goal in added time with Brighton's only shot on target. So that just leaves us asking, can the real West Ham stand up, Tim? Because it's just bizarre, the results. That so they far. are the most confusing team in the WSL, bar none. And as someone who always watches them play Arsenal, and for some reason they always give Arsenal such a hard game, that they are that kind of team that will, you know, that will give the big teams a really big game but then don't quite do it against the smaller teams. And that's why I think Matt Beard will be so delighted with this weekend because they just, they've got so much quality in their squad and they had so much transition in the summer again. But, you know, Martha Thomas and players like that, they've just got so much talent, but it, you just don't get the sense that it all fits together yet. But I worry about Brighton as well, a little bit as well, I have to say. Molly, for you? I think West Ham, are they are that typical side. I think we spoke to a couple of them at the media day before the season and they were claiming that they could win the league. And at times you watch them and you think, do you know what, you can give anyone a game if you play this well consistently, but they just can't they yeah. need to find that consistency. Well, I love the hot pink shirts, but please, uh, and they are for uh, breast cancer now, by the way, and Breast Cancer Awareness Month, um, but I just wish they wouldn't wear them with the claret shorts because it really clashes, it really gets on my nerves. Uh, let's finish up with bottom of the table, Liverpool, who faced 10th place Bristol City. Uh, we thought this would be a nil-nil from both the sides, uh, with both of them yet to score a goal, but we were wrong. In fact, both teams got on the score sheet. It was a draw, but it was 1-1 at Prenton Park, thanks to goals from Ebony Salmon and an equalising penalty from Melissa Lawley. 
Now, last Friday was International Day of the Girl, and as part of that, Arsenal's Leah Williamson uh, has been talking about her trip to Jakarta in Indonesia to work on Save the Children's project in conjunction with Arsenal called Coaching for Life. Here's producer Abby speaking with Leah to find out a little bit more about the scheme as well as life in the England camp. I feel really privileged, actually, to have been given the opportunity to go out there. But basically, Arsenal, the Arsenal Foundation and Save the Children have combined and yet they they run the coaching for life program basically using football as a way to to sort of impact the lives and 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 help these children that live in sort of underprivileged areas and um and you know face so much difficulty in their day-to-day life it's a child protection program so a, a lot of the children that come through are sort of in desperate need of some some kind of support and yeah the, the program delivers that so I just went out and and got involved in in some of the sessions that are put on for the for the girls um and yeah I spent quite a lot of time with them and then got to know them a bit better so it was um it was pretty special within the the video and photos that I've seen from from your time out there uh, you had a really good connection with a young girl called Dia if I'm pronouncing it correctly um yeah, yeah. tell us about her and how how does the scheme specifically help out uh, her and people her age yeah, so um, Dia is a 14-year-old girl. She gets involved in, in a session at one of the pitches. And uh, unfortunately for Dia, because of her parents splitting up, she now has to provide for her family. So she's basically working every day on top of school, on top of trying to be a child. Um, so I think the program's a, a great thing for Dia. When, when she was discussing, what well, well, she was tell- talking me through her day and what an average day looks like for her and you know, waking up early, buying stock to sell at her stall, uh, going to school, coming home, working at the stall to make some money for her family so that her, her mum and her siblings can eat. And then here comes the programme where she gets an hour out of her, her day and uh, in the week to to go and, and, like I say, just be a child and, and be carefree and have that time to herself. You know, go into a pitch where there's people supporting you and instead of you having to support everybody else for a change and you know I think I suppose that's one of the main ways that it's benefiting her but also it was pretty special she she'd basically been fighting for the rights of child laborers and Mm. um, the homeless children in Jakarta who were forced into child labor to survive and she'd spoken to the deputy minister about it and yeah so she's she's selfless very resilient and strong little girl and and I think that you know those, those are sort of messages that are sort of taught at the Coaching for Life programme. So um, hopefully that's where she sort of picked up some of those skills and traits and and realised that, you know, if she wants to be the change in the world, then she can be. Well, that's incredible what Dia is is doing and having to to manage. For you, going out to Jakarta, you're entering uh, a part of the world that I imagine largely isn't speaking English. So how did you how did you communicate with uh, those on the Coaching for Life program? And, and have you learned any of the local dialect? Yeah. So obviously, going out there, that's one of the main things I was I was a bit nervous about. Yeah. You know, turning up and being like, oh, this is this is Leah. She's a footballer, and not being able to speak to the girls or or be anything but that. But you know, it's it's pretty impressive how. And I suppose this is why football is such a great tool to aid this program that it's so universal you know once we were running around and, and having a laugh and sort of speaking through football it was it was pretty obvious to me how special the game is in itself it was quite nice I had quite a nice moment with a couple of the girls you know I'd, I'd, they were teaching me a, a, like a, like you say a, a bit of the lingo and uh can you teach me any of it 
<laughs> absolutely not anymore. <laughs> I was too nervous to say it at the time in case I got it wrong. Um, they were all laughing at me. I think they were just taking taking the mick really. But um, yeah, it was it was good. It was good to be able to interact with them. And um, yeah, a couple of the girls actually spoke really good English. Um, so they were sort of translating for the group, which is it's quite special really when you have natural moments like that with yeah um, with them. But yeah, absolutely nothing have I brought back in case I get it wrong. <laughs> that myself you have to go back and learn it a bit more um, yeah yeah it absolutely sounds like the the coaching for life project is doing fantastic work as um as our save the children and i hope that it carries on to do to do good and um, and build a great community and build up girls to to you know say that they can do more than whatever they're seeing at the moment and can go out and play play football i wanted to take an opportunity whilst i've got you if that's okay to talk about england i don't know i imagine you've seen the quotes from Phil Neville at the moment uh, doing the round saying that he gets 20 Instagram messages a day desperate to see you playing uh, in the Lionesses shirts uh, how, how does that make you feel and uh, I wondered if you equally get 20 messages a day asking when you're going to be <laughs> playing yeah I think, I'm, uh, I think I'm tagged in every one of those messages <laughs> so I, I have seen them yeah. Um, yeah I suppose I I almost choose to ignore them you know I, it, there's one man's opinion that, that counts and I suppose it's his, but I suppose they've been fighting a front for me, I suppose. But yeah, no, it's, it's nice. It's, it's nice to get recognition, you know, in any way, shape or form that it comes to you for, for the performances that, that I've been putting in. And, you know, sometimes when, when the opportunities don't come, you sort of get yourself into a, a bit of a state, you know, thinking sort of what more can I do or, or what's possible. So yeah, I suppose. Uh, although I'm not asking them to, it's quite nice that they're they're fighting that battle for me because I'm not really. It's not really in my nature to ask to play. I, I want to earn my shirt on the on the pitch. But um, it's obviously nice, and it, it's nice that you know I've obviously got two starts under my belt in the last week. How have you found the transition of from going from defender in into holding midfielder? Yeah, uh, I used to be a midfielder uh, all, yeah. all the time growing up, so it's it's not something I'm massively unfamiliar with, but. It is, it's nerve-wracking. I, I see it as a bit of a promotion almost from defence. You know, there's a lot more to think about. You go from a 180 game, you know, 180 vision game to it, to having to know what, what's going on around you and know absolutely everything 360. So it's a lot more challenging, um, I suppose, because it's new for me. But yeah, very much a player. I just, you know, if I've got a job to do, I'll just try and do that. And that's what I'll focus on week in, week out. But um, I can't pretend I haven't enjoyed it. I have enjoyed it a little bit. So... Um, <laughs> Yeah, they'll be they'll be restraining me to get me back to centre half, I suppose. <laughs> they don't need me anymore. Thanks to Arsenal and Leah Williamson for their time. Uh, a reminder then that Arsenal play Slavia Prague, Man City host Atletico Madrid in the tie of the round uh, of the first leg of the last 16 of the Women's Champions League on Wednesday. And just before we end, huge congratulations to Tottenham's Karen Hills and Juan Amoros for being named Managers of the Month and to Everton's Chloe Kelly for Player of the Month. Kelly Smith's pick on this podcast last week, of course. Well, that's it for our bumper show this week. Leah Williamson, Keris Harrop, Joe Montemuro and Tim Stillman and Molly Hudson. It's like being in a sea of stars. Thank you both of you for joining us. What's next on your footballing agenda? So personally, I'm flying out to Prague for the Champions League game um, on Wednesday night against Slavia, which I'm really excited about. My mm. first time covering a game abroad, actually, I think at all. So yeah, really, really looking forward to that. The media entrance at Slavia Prague is a McDonald's. I'm reliably informed. Oh, yes, from the England game. Yep, and the media lounge is McDonald's, so that all suits me very nicely. Very nicely indeed. I wonder how you order it, though. 
Yeah, and I, I'm curious. I'll, I'll report back. <laughs> um, Molly? Yes, I will be heading up to Manchester for the Champions League game against Atletico Madrid on Wednesday. So I'm hoping that lives up to its billing as, as such an exciting clash. Well, all sides are back in action this week in the Continental Cup. We'll be back to cover the best of those ties in detail and we'll have our Thursday show on as normal too. So make sure you're subscribed to both feeds, both separate feeds, for the full complement of Offside Rule action. And for written work on the women's game, head to offsiderulepodcast.com for our latest columns and reports. Tim and Molly, thank you very much. Listeners, we'll speak again soon. Goodbye. You've been listening to the Offside Rule WSL edition, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. And for more from the Offside Rule, head to our website, offsiderulepodcast.com.